Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I got the first national network radio show, talk show, when I was 50. I could have gotten it when I was 30. I'm not any better. I listen, if I listen to an old tape when I was 26, I'm still the same. I should have been, I was, amb- I was a big man in Miami. I should have spread my wings sooner. I could have made more, a lot more money earlier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited about the show today. Part two of Larry King, this guy is a legend among legends among legends and you are going to be blown away by him and before i get started i just want to thank you guys so much for everything i'm very grateful for your support during this time of the malibu fires it's been an incredibly challenging situation but your messages have been incredible and i will always remember this time for the outpouring of support that you guys have had for me and for this show thank you so much if you ever need to reach me you can do so at barry cats at twitter or instagram and i will return the salvo today i just got back to my house and the lights popped on and I felt very fortunate, but this week I had some dark moments because I was really, really sick. I had a crippling intestinal virus and I had three cases of gout in my foot, which I still have. And I just gave up and I just couldn't take it anymore. I just went to Cedars Sinai and got x-rays. And I tell you, as I was waiting in that waiting room, I thought to myself what my mom always used to tell me that if you have your health, you have everything. And I sat there and I went in and I got x-rays and 
They send me down to the pharmacy to get medication, and I'm straddling that Rite Aid shopping cart like it's a walker with four green tennis balls on it, and I'm waiting for them to call my name so I can get that medication and just take those first two painkillers and the medication for the gout in my stomach. I heard a ding on my phone, and there was a message from a friend of mine because I had wished them a happy Thanksgiving. And they wrote back saying that this Thanksgiving was the best Thanksgiving they ever had, even though they lost their house. One of 851 families who lost their homes. I just thought that was such an incredible message, and I just felt bad about feeling down and just as I'm feeling those feelings, I hear my name being called. As I walk up to the counter, an older man turns around and he walks by me and he says, Hi, have a great weekend. And I said, you too. And as I looked down, I saw that he had a prosthetic leg. And I thought to myself, no matter how bad it gets in this world, there's always something that shows you that it's always darkest before the dawn. And there's always something to look forward to and always something positive to take out of what's going on in your life. My kids are safe. I can hug them every night. And I finally have a house to come home to nearly three weeks later with the electricity finally on. I just want to let you know that Although challenging, I realize how grateful I am. And if I had lost my house, I'd still be grateful. And if I had more physical problems, I'd still be grateful. Because I've learned a lot throughout this podcast about myself, about life, and about how everything works, and the possibilities are endless for greatness, for happiness, for inner peace. And I wish you all the best that life has to offer during the ups, the downs, and everywhere in between. And when I think about Larry King, I think about a guy who perseveres through everything, keeps moving forward. The guy got knocked down a lot took a lot of shitty jobs, was accused of a lot of things that hurt his career, lost jobs. People said he was too old. People said he couldn't do it anymore, that he wasn't relevant. Then he comes back in the 70s and 80s and does hundreds of more shows with hundreds of extraordinary guests. The guy never will stop moving, no matter what issues take over his life. He's a proud man, and he deserves to be. And he showed me something that I really, really took to heart. He showed me that you just got to get there early. You just got to take any kind of job you can. 
you got to hang around and eventually something happens that will give you your shot. And when you get your shot, make sure you've trained and you're ready because you never know when that shot's going to come. But when it does and you're ready, whatever profession you're in, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the extraordinary career that Larry King has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now about the end. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. It's so effortless to watch you with Don Rickles for a half hour just losing your mind. Or with somebody like Robin Williams where you just... Oh, Oh, you just go with it. Then there's the other times where I observe you and I wonder what's going through your mind. Like I was in an interview I remember with Seinfeld after the show ended. And I asked him... Why did the did the show drop off or something? And yeah, he got upset at you. I'd never seen the show. I'd seen Jerry's stand-up, but I'd never seen the television show. And later we went on uh, a late-night show together, and he said he was, you know, he, he got mad at me, but, but I did the B-movie, and I was Larry B. King. I worked <laughs> with him all day on that. He was so meticulous. Everything had to be just right, and... That was a lot of fun to do. I loved working working with him. Rickles, This some, my wife opened for him in Vegas three times in Atlantic City. She's a singer. And he's so sweet. He was just so sweet and so genuine. He didn't have a mean bone in his body. But he had that ability to trigger something and do it so well, and I've seen him so much. You know, in Miami, I was in Miami once. I sat with Sidney Poitier, who I had dinner with here a little while ago. And Sidney Poitier sitting, I'm sitting at the same table, and he walks on stage and he says to Larry, you'll hang around with anything. <laughs> and he goes, Sidney, I don't know how to break this to you. I looked at the menu. No, no fried chicken. <laughs> no watermelon. What are you going to eat? And then turn around to the band. Is he coming up? (laughs) Is he after me? My daughter's name is Kaya. It's a Jewish version of Chaim. The boy is Chaim. The girl is Kaya. We call her Kaya. She was born. Rickles called me up and said, is that a kid or a canoe? (laughs) (laughs) He just, you know, those guys. And great comic, George Burns. I said, George, you're you're 99. Did you ever get arthritis? He said, I was the first one to get it. (laughs) (laughs) When you think of that routine that Rickles did then with Sidney Poitier and the audience with you. Could he do it now? Yes. Rickles could do anything because Rickles is Rickles. Still did it now. So he did it before he died. He still, he's because Rickles, because he did it to everyone, Arabs, 
Jews. You know, he took no prisoners, therefore all prisoners, therefore we're all in this. You know, he, he said to me from the stage, Larry, I don't care, King, I don't care what name you use. You're in Germany, 1935. They see your nose, they're rounding you up. (laughs) That's that's genuinely, genuinely funny. Was there ever a comedian that the world thought was a genius, killing it all over, but for some reason... You never felt that way when you interviewed them. I generally had a good time with comics. Barry Gray had a very embarrassing time. I was a fan of Barry's. He had Harry Ritz coming on from the Ritz Brothers, and he keeps promoting it as the funniest man in the world, which I'm told Harry Ritz was. The f- You're going to die, Harry Ritz. He doesn't do interviews. He's coming here tomorrow. Later neck didn't say it now so it's very hard to introduce someone as the funniest man in the world and then have him bomb I, I didn't have that one because I wouldn't say the funniest man in the world I would say my guest is Bill Cosby if I have to tell you who he is I don't have to tell you he's funny the tragedy of Bill Cosby is how funny he was the best two stand-ups pure stand-ups were Bill Cosby and Alan King. No one funnier than Alan King. No one funnier than Bill. Cosby could sit on that chair and hold you. So just, you know, you never know the other side of a person. You know, but Cosby is a tragedy. So you never feel like after an interview in the past 60 years where you go home and you sit in the fetal position on your couch and you say... I think there's something going on there with that person. No. I I I I I I interview them. I try to get the best out of them. No, when someone has dark secrets that they are holding within, and you discover it later, it's a mass discovery for everyone. Unless you saw them in action, you know. Unless you're around. Now, people tell me they saw Bill Cosby treat people poorly I wasn't there I always try in an interview Barry to uh, put myself in the other man's shoes to try to find out what makes people tick for example nobody evil thinks they're evil Osama bin Laden didn't comb his hair in the morning and say I'm a bad person Hitler didn't say, I'm a bad person. They believed in themselves. So when I would interview people regarded as evil, I would try to get at them from their perception. Like someone asked me, what would you ask Osama bin Laden? Well, I wouldn't, the first question would not have been, why did you bomb 3,000 people on 9-11? My first question would have been, you grew up in one of the richest families in Saudi Arabia. Why'd you leave? Now, that's, that's a true question. It's a true concern. He probably hasn't thought about it in years. Makes him think about things. It also puts him a little on my side. He's expecting this, and I'm going with 
why'd you leave? And I'm sincere because I have no idea. I wouldn't have left. <laughs> it's so fascinating that you just said that to me because I had three questions for you that were along those lines of what would the first question be oh. if you asked these people and I wanted Someone to, asked me the other day. to mention three people. May oh. I? Yeah, sure. John F. Kennedy. Well, interestingly enough, I bumped into his car when he was a senator on a morning in West Palm Beach. It was a beautiful Sunday morning, and I was driving in a convertible with three other disc jockeys. I was a kid, and we were looking around at all the buildings, and I hit his car. And he got out, and uh, he said, how could you How could you hit me? I said, I've, I'm sorry. We were looking around. You want to change license plates? He says, no, it was a bumper. He says... I want you guys to raise your hands because I'm going to run for president in two years. Promise you'll vote for me. So that was my adventure with John Kennedy. If I would interview John Kennedy right now, knowing what I know, why the hell did you go to Dallas? <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. I interviewed Martin Luther King. I always remember one thing he said. I said in, in, in all of your speeches and all... You never talk about um, sexual morality. You know, you never talk about uh, two to one person and all this. So you don't deal in the social mores of humankind. And he says, there's some places you fear to go. Some places I don't tread to go. You know, and he was a womanizer. And, but he was honest in heat, the way he said, there's some places you don't go. I never forgot that. But he also said, I said, what are you after? What is your goal, personal goal? And he said, my dignity. Wow. Now, now someone asked me, what would you ask God? Tricky. I would ask God... Do you have a son? Because <laughs> if he says no, we throw the whole category. Now, Lenny used to do a great bit Lenny on the Bruce. Catholic Church. Lenny was torn down by the Catholic Church, not by his cursing. Lenny was genius. Lenny would do backstage at St. Patrick's. Cardinal Spellman, Bishop Sheen. Bishop Sheen comes running to Cardinal Spellman and says, you know who's out front? Who? Christ is out front. Guys, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. Look, th look through. Look through the curtain. Look up. Where is he? He's right over there on the right. Looks like Charlton Heston. <laughs> he says, you can't miss him. He's glowing. He's glowing. So Spellman says, what the hell do we do? He said, hide the rings. <laughs> Oh, Lenny was funny. You talk a lot about how you're interviewing somebody and you don't really think about what they're like. I don't care about divorces. and that. I, I wanted them, their profession, what they think about things, but I didn't care of who was sleeping with who. I didn't like gossip. I hate people telling stories about other people. I, I, just, I never liked that. When you were interviewing Donald Trump, throughout the years. Many times. And you've interviewed him a plethora of times. 
did you ever visualize in your mind where we are today? Not at all, because now the Donald Trump that I knew, and I knew, so I went to the Super Bowl with him. I went to see Marla Maples with him on Broadway. I had a minor surgical procedure in New York the night before he took my wife and her friend to dinner. He always comped me at any hotel I stayed at. He was always good to me. We always regarded him as a character. We knew he lied, but it was funny. He was a hotel owner. He lied. I'd be on the, he'd be on my show and say, best ratings you ever had, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but that was not, it was just Donald. He would exaggerate on anything, but it didn't matter. He wanted to get on page six. That was his goal in New York Post. He'd pretend to be his own PR guy and call people. He was a moderate Republican, almost a Democrat, big supporter of Hillary Clinton as a senator, favored... Uh, uh, health insurance for all, you know, federal federal health insurance had no interest in abortion and stuff like that. Come on, and to to see uh, these uh, far right wing Christians supporting him is a riot. He never went to church. Come on, Donald, <laughs> Donald on abortion. He must have financed twenty. <laughs> so when he got to be president, I thought he'd move to the middle. And that he was playing the game running, and then he would be kind of normal. But he, worse, he, uh, he's taken his, I talked to him when he was running, I talked to him almost every week. He knew I was voting for Hillary, but he respected me, and he would call me with opinions on things. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of him? Uh, but as soon as he was elected, I never heard from him again. I called him to congratulate him. He never called back. I know him 40 years. He is a major disappointment. I have other friends who say they knew he was a bad guy. They knew he was a racist. I didn't think he was a racist. I thought he was a classist if you had money. But now I see all the warts and all the, and I, I'm playing to the base. And I just, that's why I'm a pessimist. You said earlier in the interview Hitler didn't look in the mirror and comb his hair and say, I'm evil. But you knew Donald probably better than anyone 40 years. When you were interviewing him, did you see any of I this? never thought Donald was introspective. I think Donald was a, always thought he was a total self-involved. Everything was about him. Everything was I. One time he called me, I think the New York Times, Mark Leibovich did a great story on me in the New York Times magazine. This is when he was running. He called me up, he said, Larry, I just read that story. What a terrific story. You must be very proud. What a great story. I said, Donald, thanks. And this is the first time I think you've called without using the word I. And he said, oh, by the way, he wants to interview me. Do you think I should do it? <laughs> no, I don't. This I don't. I don't understand this whole administration. I don't understand Washington. I don't understand chaos. Didn't understand the whole Kavanaugh thing. I don't understand where they're coming from, why his base stays with him, why evangelicals support Donald. Donald was one of the great 
was the worst coxman of all time. I mean, Donald had a lot of women. And uh, how do the evangelicals support him is beyond belief to me. They're hypocrites, in my opinion. A 60,000 interview is in anybody. You talk to a baseball player, a football player, you talk to a politician, you talk to anybody. There is going to be the interview that they believe, if they were all drowning in the ocean, would be their greatest interview of all time, technically, entertainment-wise, everything flawless. And then there's going to be number... 60,000, that's the interview that went wrong, that they went home and they were like, God, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd have done that. First, when the interview's over, I've forgotten about it. I go to the next day, and I'm always into the moment the next day. So I've done great interviews. I mean, Sinatra's one of my all-time favorite two hours. But I did Sinatra's last interview, television. Uh, this, the weirdest moment I ever had was I interviewed a God, I forgot his name. The guy who replaced Steve Jobs at Apple on radio. I had interviewed Steve Jobs when Apple started. Now I've interviewed the guy who replaced him. We do two hours interview and an hour interview, an hour of phone calls. Then he leaves, and now I take phone calls from the audience on anything they want to talk about. And the first caller says, Larry, you didn't ask him the key question. I said, what? He fired Steve Jobs. He was hired as president. Steve Jobs became a chairman, and then he had the power with the board, and he fired the guy who hired him. I miss that. I didn't know it, should have known it. Uh, that, that really threw me. Because I, I can't get everything on. No one's ever done the perfect interview. But that I should have known. If you had to say off the top of your head the most perfect interview you ever had from start to finish, what would it be? I try to make a long I, oof, Malcolm X. And I was prepared not to like him, and I really liked him. And he taught me things. Like, I was a liberal, and I am a liberal. But he made me think about things I hadn't thought of. Like, you ever know what it's like to, to never see yourself in a movie? When it's Christmas time, there's no black Santa Claus. What do you think that's like? What do you think it's like to be invisible? If you're a kid in the movie, you're the maid's son who runs into the house and Shirley Temple says, I'll meet you outside. What do you think that's like? He really made me think. So Malcolm X jumps out. I'm sure I've had a lot of great interviews, but Malcolm X jumps out. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level? That I didn't start out earlier to be a national person. I should have sent out tapes. 
I, I got the first national network radio show, talk show, when I was 50. I could have gotten it when I was 30. I'm not any better. I listened, if I listened to an old tape when I was 26, I'm still the same. I should have been, I was, amb I was a big man in Miami. I should have spread my wings sooner. I could have made more, a lot more money earlier. The most memorable moment of all the interviews that made you cry on the air. It was Danny Kay. Fate and how it played a part. Don't have any. I uh, grew up Jewish. I was bar mitzvahed. But I lost my faith pretty early. And then of all, I was very good friends with Billy Graham. Uh, they all told me I have, sp I have no, no belief in anyone up there. I just asked Neil deGrasse Tyson, the great astrophysicist, if he believes. He says, perfect, I don't know. How did it all start? I don't know. I'm impressed. My wife, my youngest son, they have total belief they're going somewhere, that there is a God. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. There's some heavenly father. I don't think anyone's looking at me. I believe in the poem Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul in the fell clutch of circumstance. Circumstance. I have not winced or cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody but unbowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I don't believe there's anyone out there. How did all this begin? I don't know. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in a small town somewhere? Maybe Keep go going through a tragedy or something like I'll that. I'll tell you the best thing about this business. It's always an opening. It's never closed. If you want to be a broadcaster, go for it. If you're in school, major in communications. And take any job that's offered to you. If they tell you they want you to be a receptionist at a radio station, take it. Because when you're in, you're in. Then you get to know the people, and one day a guy will be sick. You'll do it. So have faith. If someone can tell you you don't want to, whatever your profession, if someone tells you, now nah, you don't want to be a doctor, if that can convince you, then you don't want to be a doctor. If someone could talk you out of it with a sentence and get up off the ground and, as Woody Allen says, get off the porch. Get off the porch. A lot of people sit on the porch and dream. Dreams don't work. Get off the porch. Larry King, this has been one of the greatest honors of my life and to be here sitting across from you and looking past you at the piano where Paul McCartney sat. And that picture with Sinatra painted is above it. Incredible. Thank you, Barry. If only they had named you Larry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy
Mexico All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.